The most important thing for me when I enter into preparing a homily is just being able to authentically give witness to who I am and where I am in my relationship with Christ. If I can't do that, then not only is it inauthentic, but it also just doesn't really grab anyone. Welcome to Preach, a podcast from America Media on the art of Catholic preaching. I'm your host, Ricardo de Silva, a Jesuit priest from South Africa, associate editor at America Media in New York, and associate pastor of the Church of St. Francis Xavier. In each episode, we take you into the minds and hearts of some of the finest preachers in the Catholic Church. We listen to their homilies, learn what makes them great, and draw inspiration to keep preaching the good news. This week on Preach, we have invited John Gribowicz, who is a priest of the Diocese of Brooklyn, currently living and working in San Francisco, California, where he is also the religious studies teacher at Sacred Heart Cathedral Preparatory High School. Along with theology and art history, his personal interests include meditation, reading, running, and the music of Bob Dylan. Welcome to Preach, John. Great to be here with you, Ricardo. It's wonderful to be with you. John, you were one of the first people that we reached out to when we were thinking about developing Preach. And so it's a joy to finally be able to record officially with you for Preach. Well, thank you. I feel honored that you reached out to me. So uh, I guess I'm either going to make it or break it here for your podcast. Oh, I'm sure you'll make it. <laughs> Usually when a priest is preparing a homily on Sundays, that is based on the Sunday's readings. But the homily that you've prepared for us today is really based on a feast. We're celebrating the solemnity of the most holy body and blood of Christ. Can you just, in a very brief way, explain what the solemnity is about? Sure. I mean, this is a feast that is celebrated after two substantial feasts in the church, Pentecost and then the celebration of Holy Trinity. And then we have this feast of Corpus Christi, which is the solemnity of the body and blood of Christ. And I've always looked at these three feasts that come in a row as being a way to give us the fullness of God's revelation to us. You know, it's the fullness of the Trinity and the Pentecost event. And then how we participate in the Trinity, to me, is uh, why we celebrate the Feast of Corpus Christi. So it's all, to me, revealing who God is, three in one, relational, Trinitarian. And this is, of course, at the core of, of the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, we've obviously used the long form, the solemnity of the most holy body and blood of Christ, but we often refer to this as the Feast of Corpus Christi. We're going to link to those readings in the show notes so that our listeners have access to the readings and we'll invite our listeners to go there if they want to see what the readings are for this Sunday. But because your homily isn't specifically based on the Sunday, we won't go into any detail specifically about the readings. Who are you preparing this particular homily for? Well, this... uh homily is being prepared for a parish in San Mateo, California. And I would characterize it as your typical large suburban parish that you would probably find anywhere in the United States. And with that, it's a very mixed congregation. There is a parish school attached, which is a very thriving school. So there's a lot of involvement with the school students at the parish. So you have families, of course, you have older people who really uh, hold down the fort, so to speak, at most parishes. And there's also a very large Spanish-speaking population, and they have uh, Spanish-speaking mass as well. Wonderful. 
I'm really excited to hear what you've prepared for us. Well, I'm excited to uh, share it with you. We will now hear John Gribowicz with his homily for the Solemnity of the Most Holy Body and Blood of Christ, Year A, especially recorded for Preach. You know, in the course of my life, I've uh, lived in three cities with major league baseball teams, Philadelphia, New York, and uh, currently San Francisco. And I have to say that I've attended numerous games over the years, each in these cities dutifully rooting for the home team. And I've even attended games in other cities throughout the country. So you may conclude that I'm a really big baseball fan, but the fact of the matter is that I'm really not. In fact, there are many rules of the games I simply don't understand. I cannot tell you much about baseball statistics or who players are. In fact, I don't think I even know how many players are supposed to actually be on the field. So my knowledge of America's pastime is elementary at best. So why is it that I, and I would say many others like me, go to baseball games when we're really not into the sport? And I would say that perhaps we go to the game for something other than the game. And when you think about how much goes into a baseball game and what's going on at a game, it can be quite overwhelming. I mean, of course, we have the players on the field and they've spent decades of their life practicing, working out, disciplining themselves to be the best they could be. Of course, we have the umpires and the referees calling the game. We have workers making and selling overpriced hot dogs, pretzels, beers. And of course, they know they have an indispensable role in facilitating just what we experience during the game. We have AV technicians, we have entertainers, ushers, maintenance crew, the list goes on and on. And then, of course, let's not forget about all the people involved in designing and building the stadium where all this action is taking place. The massive amount of infrastructure that goes into a city designed to build a stadium or to rebuild one. So clearly, there's lots of hands involved in a baseball game. Everyone has a role. And I would say that everyone finds meaning, purpose, and joy in that role. And I know for me, I find great joy simply being with other people who really love the game. I feel like that's my role and why I go to games. It makes me happy seeing how happy they are. It's fun to support them and their team, since I cannot claim allegiance to any one team. Yet when you get down to it, the entire enterprise known as baseball would not be possible if one simple, insignificant object was not in the stadium. And that's the baseball itself. The ball enables everything else to take place, and you would not have the entire experience without the ball in the stadium. Today, the church celebrates the solemnity of Corpus Christi, and it's the last of a triple play, no pun intended, of unique Sunday celebrations, Pentecost, Trinity Sunday, and now Corpus Christi, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And it's a unique feast since it seems to celebrate the primary way that we Catholics celebrate our faith, the celebration of the mass. And it's kind of like having a party celebrating the fact that we not just have a birthday, but that we have birthday parties. So what exactly is going on here? I would say that much like the small round white baseball, which gives purpose, meaning, and activity to everything else in that baseball stadium, so too does the small, round, white host give purpose, meaning, and activity to, well, everything. 
It wasn't that long ago during Holy Week, we celebrate the institution of the Eucharist on Holy Thursday. And Jesus breaks the bread and shares the cup and states that these very elements are his body and blood. And as Jesus's body and blood are separated on the cross, the separation of his body and blood and the appearance of bread and wine indicates that his presence among us is one of suffering. The suffering Christ is what unites us with him in Holy Communion. In more explicit terms, we become what we eat. We become one with Jesus' suffering, and Jesus becomes one with our suffering. The suffering of Jesus and our suffering is one and the same, but we know that the physical, mental, and emotional suffering and ultimate death of Jesus is healed through his resurrection. So in a very real way, being united to Jesus' passion intrinsically unites us to his healing and glory. But isn't this all just some nice, feel-good theological proposal? How exactly do we experience communion with Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection? And more pressingly, how does communion actually benefit us once we leave this church? Perhaps it might be best for us to reevaluate what we are seeking when we come to church. Now, I hope that when we come to Mass, we are desiring to become better people, more loving, understanding, peaceful, compassionate. Yet how often do we leave Mass feeling the exact opposite? Because of the homily, the music, the person in the pew who seems to look at us with a condescending stare. But perhaps it might be baseball that could give us a model of how to enter into the celebration of Mass putting away our divisions to rally around a team, or maybe even more importantly, rallying around those we came with and those that we meet in the stands. Sure, there are two teams playing and cheers are often surpassed by jeers, but isn't there something about the whole experience that takes us outside of ourselves for a few hours, where we laugh and cry with people who we might not even hang out with if we knew their political or religious affiliations? That little insignificant ball keeps us all united no matter what team is on top. I would say that everyone in this church is looking for something out of life. Everyone here is struggling with something. Some here might enjoy this experience of mass, like when your team wins the game. Others might be disappointed. Yet keeping our eye on the ball is what enables us to function as a body, the body of Christ. Because gazing upon the Lamb of God and then consuming him is more than what a baseball could ever do. In this enterprise, we all win because we all know what it means to lose. We have all endured suffering. We are all currently enduring in some sort of way, something that's painful or trying. Yet for an hour, we hold space with those around us with our very presence. It is the simpleness of our very presence, just like the simpleness of a baseball, and the simpleness of a small little piece of bread which we call and know to be Jesus Christ. It is that presence with each other that reveals that there is something that truly unites us. We can all relate to each other because we all know what it means to suffer, and we can find healing and solidarity with each other. Our real presence at this place, at this time, is enough. No words even need to be spoken to the people around us because we all are the body of Christ because of our real presence. Today, receive perhaps the least significant physical thing here today, a small wafer, and become leaven in the world with the least significant thing that you can do, 
your presence to another suffering member in the body of Christ. There's nothing more real than that. That was John Gribowicz. After the break, we'll hear how Father Gribowicz went about crafting his baseball-inspired homily and how he thought to connect baseball to the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Stay with us. Welcome back to Preach. John, before we dive into this homily, I wonder if you could share a little bit about just your general approach to homilies. You know, what is homiletics about? What is preaching about for you? The most important thing for me when I enter into preparing a homily is just being able to authentically give witness to who I am and where I am in my relationship with Christ. If I can't do that, then not only is it inauthentic, but it also just doesn't really grab anyone. So it serves the purpose of me being honest with myself and that honesty, I think, hopefully will uh, spill over into uh, propelling another person and the pews to be able to continue their journey with Christ. Hmm. Yeah, and as I was hearing your homily, right, I mean, talking about being authentic, I was just thinking, I have, a bit like you, <laughs> very little knowledge of baseball. In fact, I think I've been to one baseball game on Coney Island uh, <laughs> sometime right. last year. But there's this driving metaphor throughout your homily. And in fact, you said in your notes, you, you sent us a couple of notes and you said you would show a baseball, right? When you said right. the one thing is, yeah. here's the baseball. Yeah. You know, what were you trying to do by using baseball to connect with this audience? Well, you know, I mean, the danger when you ever you start using analogy is that it's going to come off gimmicky, right? And I mean, it's like, oh, let's just try to show how Jesus can be connected to everything in the world. Well, here's the deal. First off, Jesus can be connected to everything in the world. <laughs> but most importantly, I think it's really coming from a place for me of, of vulnerability. I, I know that most of the time I'm I'm engaged in different activities where I don't really feel like fully in, so to speak, on what it is I'm doing. But it's because of the people around me that draw me in to whatever is happening. And that to me is the body of Christ functioning, that we're all somehow related to each other because when we come together, it could bring out the best in us. Now, I understand it could bring out the worst in us as well, too, but that's the great power of community. That's probably one of the points that really connected with me. You know, as I heard your homily, I was thinking about the ongoing polarization, especially in the United States, in terms of the church. Sure, it's just absolutely dreadful. But I think you did something really clever, right? I mean, <laughs> you didn't do what I did and sort of like, the polarization in the church, right? I mean, you sort of spoke about baseball and how there are different people in a baseball stadium and mm -hmm. how there are different people in the church, but mm -hmm. you didn't make an explicit connection, right? And sometimes I think in, in our homilies, we can make that explicit connection. We can sort of link directly to the issue of polarization, but right. you seem to have gone, <laughs> used a more softball approach, right? I mean, you mm -hmm. went in more softly so that maybe people made that connection on their own or allowed themselves to go wherever they needed to go with those two ideas of a baseball stadium and a church. Yeah, and that comes from some pretty good homiletic training I had in the seminary with Peter John Cameron because he said, he's like, make sure you allow the congregation to figure out what it is you're actually saying rather than telling them what you want to say. Because he was so against moralism, you know, and I was so happy, like, you know, 
we always want to make sure that people know exactly what we're trying to say, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and so we really try to make sure that we are very explicitly clear. But when I fall into the trap of trying to tell people exactly what I want them to know or to hear, nine times out of 10, they would come and talk to me about the homily and they were talking about something that I didn't even talk about or something that I did not intend to say. So the reality is like everyone is hearing things in a certain way and they've just may latch onto a particular phrase or a particular word and that's their food for the day. You know, they're not getting the whole thing that's going on in your head. I mean, but isn't it just more reveal how the body of Christ functions, that each one of us are somehow just going to have a different type of experience of God, mm -hmm. yet it's a shared experience that allows us to realize that God is far greater than our own way of thinking or the own vision that we want to try to, to impart. So I think that's, that's exciting. Absolutely. I want us to take your homily now, or maybe I want you to take your homily now, and just outline it for us, right? I mean, give me the structure of the homily almost systematically so that we can see how you shaped it and how you went about thinking each of the ideas and then developing those. Sure. I, I think that the main thing that I always do with a homily is I want to kind of give this impression that I want to take the listener on a journey. So we're going to the ball game. Yeah, so exactly. So I mean, like you start with something that sounds interesting to try to get buy-in, right? I mean, that's basically what this is all about here, right? And once again, I don't think that this is a gimmick and I don't think this is just a way to kind of make it trendy or something like that, because I think what the story I'm going to say or whatever the analogy is I'm going to present at the very beginning to get people on the journey is how I really understand and experience whatever the readings are or wherever the feast is of that day. The great danger is thinking like, I got to get a really good story. So I start scrolling through the internet, trying to find a really good story that's going to fit with this feast or the, these rings. That is the wrong way to approach this, at least for me. I can't mm -hmm. do that. I can't just come up with like some type of really great story from someone else's experience. So once that's set up, then I like to kind of then move into the next part where it's like, okay, well, why am I talking about this story today? So that's usually when I will somehow drop something about the feast day or drop something that we just heard in the gospel. So how did you do that in this particular homily? Well, in here, I have here, I talk about how, you know, just being caught up in this profound experience and knowing that all this stuff in this baseball stadium would not be happening if it wasn't for the small insignificant thing of the baseball. And that was the transition point. So now I'm starting to talk about what the feast day is, right? Mm -hmm. I could have started at the homily that way, but think about how boring that would have been. It'd just be like a lecture at that point, right? So I kind of have this whole like story thing going on here. And then, okay, well now why am I telling this story? Well, it's because today is Corpus Christi, you know? And it seems to be rather profound that we give so much attention to something that actually kind of even looks like a, a baseball, right? A small round white object. And could it possibly mean that that just like a baseball could give meaning, activity, purpose to everything. So there's like the story, why I'm telling the story, and then, okay, what is the takeaway? The last thing is the takeaway. And I always like to go to a place of trying to empathize with another person's struggles or suffering, or to try to give witness to a spirit of compassion. And this is because I've just been mentored very well in this area of understanding compassion, to know that every single person is struggling with something. And I think that people in the pews want to hear from the priest 
that they somehow know that the priest understands that they are struggling. Mm-hmm. Like, like no one's got it all together. And anyone who says they have it all together, I mean, then they shouldn't even probably even be a church at that point, right? I mean, we're, we're all struggling with something. Mm-hmm. And for me, the last component of this was just like, well, just as insignificant and as simple as a baseball is, as the body of Christ is in the Eucharist, which appears to just be the simple wafer, right? The simple thing in our life is our presence. Like all we do is show up. And when we show up, we're actually holding space for other people. But most homilies, I think for me, have a similar type of structure. Story, why am I telling it? What's the takeaway? The one thing that for me was perhaps surprising in your homily, right? Just in terms of the structure. And it felt like a big jump, like going from the baseball game Mm -hmm. to then linking that to the experience of the church, the feast of Corpus Christi, and then all of a sudden we're in suffering, right? Like this big theological idea. And I hear what you're saying, and I, I think it ties into something which is important right now. We talk about trauma-informed journalism, right? Like how do we have trauma-informed preaching? Mm-hmm. Um, so really understanding people's suffering, mm-hmm. I think that that's key. But I wonder how audiences respond at that point, right? The minute you hear suffering immediately, you, I, at least I feel myself sort of clam up and think, oh, where's this going? Right. How did you bring people gently on that journey? Well, and this is something also I learned in homiletics with Peter John Cameron. Like whenever you either use humor or give a very accessible story, you've kind of just made the hearer's heart ready to receive whatever you're going to give next. Like you've done something where they're going to be able to receive the serious thing that you're going to say next in a way that they would probably not be able to receive if you started off the homily talking about everyone here suffering or something like that, right? We're all suffering. Life is all about suffering. I mean, like, that just sounds horrible, right? But like, if you're able to soften the heart through a story, through humor, it makes a person far more intent to listen to what is going to be said next because you've kind of broken them. You made them trust you in lots of ways too. And what you're going to say is meaningful and and is relatable. And it's so connected to the central event that the feast is about, right? I mean, the body and blood of Christ, Christ's passion on the cross. And then you've linked it to this really big theological concept, which I don't think many of us really actually understand, but the idea of the real presence of Christ. Sure. How are you making that concept intelligible to people who don't have the years of theological training that you or I have had? Well, I think we have a problem in the church on trying to put too much emphasis on isolating the real presence of Christ to the sacrament of the Eucharist, to the actual physical host. And I know that even me saying this, people may start feeling like, well, what are you talking about? That is where Jesus is. And I'm like, yes, that is where Jesus is. But to me, I view the Eucharist, the celebration of the Eucharist, the host itself, as a portal into understanding the whole world as participating and revealing God's presence, the presence of Jesus Christ. So to me, it's not really a high point or an end point. It's actually the entry point into looking at the whole world with different eyes. And to me, that is the great gift of the Eucharist, not to kind of create it as like an idol in and of itself, but as a way to live your life, that everything is more than what it appears to be. You know, this came to me in a profound way recently, actually, because of the pandemic, when masses were no longer happening, when people could not actually attend mass in person. And I think the church struggled because the church doesn't understand how to do church without 
the celebration of the Eucharist. And to me, that's really a problem in some ways because our only two solutions to the pandemic were, okay, we're gonna Zoom masses so people can see mass, or we're gonna really fight for our rights to reopen the churches again so that people can go and receive the Eucharist. And to me, it's like, well, you know, someone, there's been profound instances where the real presence of Christ was revealed in places around the world and throughout 2000 years of church history where they had no access to the celebration of the sacraments at all. And it would have been such a great moment in the time of the church to say, this is a time to reverence the feet of the people that you have to uh, live with in this lockdown, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that is being Eucharistic. So to me, anytime we have an opportunity to show that what's happening at the altar is just simply a portal into looking at the world with a new, fresh pair of eyes to see that everything is more than it appears to be. Mm -hmm. Everything is participating in the life of God. Everything reveals the presence of Christ and it affirms the presence of Christ that we are to other people. To me, that is the goal right there. Yeah, in a strange sort of way, it shows the limits of your metaphor, the limits of any metaphor, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you can't have baseball without the ball, right. but you can have church without receiving that physical host. Right. And we saw that through months and years of the pandemic. And so many people who still cannot come to mass, right. but who now actually feel that they are at church, right? Right. I, I just think we, we run into a lot of danger when we try to think that God's presence in the world is so contingent upon the celebration of the Eucharist. I always like to say that the church is in the business of affirming realities, not creating them. Mm. You know, so that's exactly, you know, why the priesthood exists, why the church exists, why the sacraments exist. There are concentrated places, moments where we're able to be able to enter into really what the cosmos is all about. You've left me with so much to think about. And because I know very little about baseball and I've never been to California, maybe I need to make a trip out there and uh, That's right. we Come can continue this conversation. But thank you for being with us. It was great to have you, John. Thank you so much, Ricardo. Be well. Thank you for listening to Preach. You can find the readings and a link to the transcript of the homily in our show notes. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Compelling Preaching Initiative, an initiative of Lilly Endowment, Inc. Preach is produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Frank Tewson is our audio engineer. He also designed the theme score and composed original music for the podcast. Sebastian Gomes is our executive producer. We recorded in the William J. Loschett Studio in New York City with production assistance from Kevin Jackson and Christabel Spielman. If you've heard a great homily recently or know a great preacher you would like to recommend for our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Please check the link in the show notes for a link to our submissions form. You can also follow me on Twitter at RickDSSJ. That's R-I-C-D-S-S-J. Did you know that American media can deliver a new scripture reflection to your inbox every day? If you are already a digital subscriber, they're probably in your inbox. But if not, become a digital subscriber today for just $5.99 a month. It's the best way to support our work here on Preach. Just visit the link in the show notes. For American Media, I'm Ricardo De Silva. Until next time, keep preaching the good news.